Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Culture, the inescapable facet of humanity that saturates, shapes, and sways. What does culture tell us is important? What does it tell us to value? Do the themes of today align with what the gospel says is enduring and meaningful? The messages of culture can be so loud, so pervasive, and so crushing, yet so quietly stealthy at getting into our souls. Just do it. Have it your way. Obey your thirst. The cries of culture put us at the center of our world. Just go after it. But instead of chasing after the counterfeits that will slowly crush us, we are asked to come. Come to Him who can satisfy our deepest longings. Come to Him who will give us rest for our weary souls. Come to Him who is crushed for us. Instead of taking what culture says is true, we need to become students of truth by reading what the world says and comparing it to what the Word says by hearing the world's news and recognizing it doesn't compare to the good news, by seeing that the world offers empty promises that lead to despair and looking to the King who makes us His heirs. Good morning. You guys would go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs 31. This morning I'm going to (laughs) be... preaching on biblical womanhood. So yeah, if there's ever a time I was worried about stepping on landmines, it's right now. So yeah. So turn there last week, if you missed, taught on biblical manhood. So this week we're looking at biblical womanhood. And so we're, we're doing a series right now called Catchphrases at Crush. And the purpose of the series is this, is that uh, as the video just said, the world is constantly telling us what we need, what we need to believe and what we need to place our hope in to find rest and trust in. What we want to see is what the standard of truth, which is God's word says, and ultimately where we need to place our hope and what is the firm foundation that we as Christians have. And so we typically preach expositionally, which is a bigger word for saying that we try to choose books of the Bible and preach through through those books of the Bible. But from time to time, we do a topical series like this. This one's titled Catchphrases at Crush. So we've looked at different sayings and slogans like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Last week, we looked at uh, Gillette the best a man can get. This week we're looking at maybe she's born with it, maybe it's Maybelline. So that's been around for a while. So we're gonna gonna run with it. Uh, Join me as I pray. Father, we recognize first and foremost that you are God, that you are good, that you are unchanging, that you are sovereign and in control of everything, not just the massive big details in this world, but the every small detail that happens in and through our lives every day. Nothing passes through your hands that doesn't arrive at us, God. So let us find rest in that. This this day, we pray that you remind us of the good news of the gospel, that we are not saved by our performance, by our efforts, by trying to do the best we can, but we're also not going to be saved by upholding an outer appearance. God, save us from posturing in a way that is unhealthy, protecting an image. I pray that today in the most healthy way, through the gospel, you would strip us of any image that we're trying to find and put our faith in that's outside of Christ. Humble us today to receive your word. Challenge us today. Encourage us today. Father, we love you. We need you. Speak to us through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. I want us to do this before we get rolling, is answer just a few questions for me. So if you have something to write on grade, if you have a phone, you can use a phone. Uh, it is obviously going to be very focused towards women today, but I'm going to say the same thing I said last week. Uh, fellas, don't check out. So I, t I told the women to stay in tune because there's a standard to which they need to hold their brothers in Christ. And I would say the same thing. Men, stay tuned because there's also a standard that we need to hold our sisters in Christ too. So stay tuned, pay attention. And I would say this, as we look at Proverbs 31, yes, it's, it's talking about a woman and, and the kind of woman we should be in pursuit of. But the kind of big gist that's, that's going on there is this, it's, it's about character. And, and, and that character should speak to all of us. She is modeling a character that I believe that we are all called to live and model. So here's a few questions I would like you to answer and just write down. I'm not gonna clear it up. I just want you to write down quick. So write fast, whatever pops in your mind. How would you describe yourself in one word? How would you describe yourself in one word? When you look in a mirror, what is the first word that comes to mind? When you look in a mirror, what's the first word that comes to mind? What would give you more confidence? In this life right now, if you could write something down, what would give you more confidence? We're gonna come back to those and revisit those as we dive in, but let me give a little bit of context for Proverbs, okay? <clears throat> Proverbs is called sapient literature, which means wisdom. So it's wisdom literature. So it's this book filled with these kind of short, pithy sayings, okay? And what it is, is it's very poetic. And we see that because we have a father who's training his son, but he's using this kind of uh, poetic language and, and, and talking about lady wisdom. What we realize is lady wisdom is the embodiment of God's wisdom, okay? So, and, and what's really amazing is when we get to Proverbs 31, because it's almost like there's like this thing out there called lady wisdom, but when we get to Proverbs 31 is we actually get to see that wisdom takes flesh and blood. That's what, that's what Proverbs 31 is. It's like, hey, we're not just talking about this abstract idea that's floating around out there. Actually, wisdom, lady wisdom, takes on a real form, flesh and blood. And so that's what happens. Some other things that are helpful to know is that Proverbs is just something that we should have a steady diet of reading and, and dieting on because it is practical wisdom for everyday life. Just very practical wisdom for everyday life. Let me give some examples for you of just some Proverbs that you will find in the book of Proverbs. For instance, if you want to look at the subject of work, here's what it says about work. Proverbs 12.1, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich, okay? So it's talking about working hard. Here's, here's some Proverbs about gossip. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Here's one on receiving correction. I love this, because we teach our kids not to say this word. It's in the Bible. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's in the Bible, Proverbs 12.1. Proverbs 15.32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So just all of these things, work, gossip, receiving correction, all of these things we find in the book of Proverbs because it's this beautiful wisdom that is portrayed in lady wisdom that we see takes on flesh and blood by the end. What is Proverbs not? It's not law. Okay, it's, it's God's wisdom. Now, its source is found in the law because you could look at all the Proverbs and say, oh yeah, we can see their source in the Ten Commandments, but it's not law. These are not commands. These are wisdom. 
but they're also not promises. This is important because sometimes we will read these as promises and we might get let down because you could live this all out perfectly and your life could look like Job. You could lose everything. So when scripture says that if you live this way, most likely it's going to lead to a good life. And there's going to be benefits that you reap from living this way. But that's not a promise that it's always going to turn out that way, which is why we need to read Job and Ecclesiastes. Also, when scripture talks about obeying the commands that, you, that your life might be prosperous, I think oftentimes we think of prosperous life as prosperity when it comes to material things. And that's not what scripture is talking about. Jesus, the most wealthiest man to ever walk the face of the earth, did not have a home. He was prosperous because he was fully satisfied in his relationship with God. Meaning this, you can have more joy and more happiness in, in life. You can be more prosperous without having all the material things as well. And so I think that's important to know just what Proverbs is, what it's communicating, and what it's not communicating. But before we get to Proverbs 31 and see this, we need to do what we did last week on, on biblical manhood, okay? We need to see what the problem is. Things went wrong somewhere. Where did they go wrong? We need to jump back to Genesis just like we did. Here, here's the thing too. We could preach this way every week, guys, because what, what we're doing is seeing something's wrong within us. Something's wrong within our society. Where did things go wrong? And Christianity provides this answer. Things went wrong at the fall of mankind. That's when sin entered the world. And so if we go back, we look at last week, what, what happened was when man fell, man went into hiding. This week, I want us to look at this. Genesis 2, you don't have to flip there if you don't want. Genesis 2, 24. God blesses them. He gives them all of these good gifts, right? He gives them the gift of marriage. And he says this in 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Look here. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Ah, shame. Ah comes first, as in like ah, theist, which is no belief in God, as in no shame. So man and woman existed together in the garden without any shame. No shame at all. They were naked and shame did not exist. From a man that battles with shame and feeling shameful, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Not as in like I battle in the past, but I battle it today. I battle it almost every day. How would we define shame? Here, here we go. Feeling dirty, unworthy. There is something wrong with us. The sense of not belonging or of being unclean. We can feel corrupt, disgraceful, yucky, misunderstood, poisoned, unlovable. And a lot of this has not necessarily to do with just what something we've done, but what's been done to us. And oftentimes when things have been done to us that are vile, horrific, gross, and then uh, we hear these types of things, then it goes, well, that makes sense. Since I am this way, I just deserve to be treated this way. Okay. Shame is this constant feeling that there's something wrong with you. Like a cloud lingers over your life. Like, 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 I just don't know how to escape this cloud of darkness. But before sin entered the world, that wasn't there. They just lived with God without any shame. They were naked. This isn't figurative language. They were literally naked. And then something happened. What happened was lust happened. Sin happened. And I think oftentimes, since, since we're looking at biblical women today, oftentimes we can target lust and think about a man. But, but I want us to target lust and even think about the way that women struggle with lust today, because what happened was Eve saw something that looked desirable and it looked good. And she was like, I want it. I'll have it. Lust defined even by Webster is this, a craving or desire for something. And typically I would say it's something that it's not yours or that you don't have. 
And so it's a craving or desire for something. What could you be craving or desiring? And, and here, here, here's, here's the thing. The enemy doesn't need new tricks. This one still works. To make people discontent with what they have, to make people feel like they don't have enough or there's something missing in their life out there that they need more that's going to satisfy them. That's what the enemy did then. That's what the enemy still does today. And so the things we could long for is we could long for a, a, a marriage that looks healthier. We could long for a romanticized date life that looks like all the other ones we see out on Instagram. And we know that's the way it's got to be, right? Just what everyone puts out there on social media. We could also long, I prayed for a lady from our network uh, this week. We were up in Salem and she just has a, a desire to be known by her husband. And so we can have a lust and longing. I don't think it's all bad things, but when we make those things God things, they become bad things. And, and, and I told her the ultimate longing uh, uh, that, that you have is to be known, but it's to be known by God who does know you intimately. But what the enemy comes along and says, there's these things you don't have. And as long as he can take your eyes off what you have in God, then he can distract you with everything else in the world and make you discontent. We're going to get this later. I think that's where a lot of, a lot of times, of course, there's clinical anxiety and depression, but sometimes the enemy can just get you so focused on everything that you don't have. And then it creates this angst in our lives. So lust. So what happened? Sin entered the world. Lust entered the world. And then what happened as a result? They clothed themselves. You got to hear me here. Talk about this in one of the devotionals that's back there, but we have no proof from, from the text that something changed in their bodies. It, like we, it doesn't say like they grew unsightly moles or like all of a sudden something hideous happened to them. They're like, we got to cover ourselves. Something inward happened that made them deal with something outwardly. Something was wrong on the inside. Our world is still doing the same thing and convincing women to do the same exact thing. We're trying to fix this problem in here with something on the outside. One study reports that at age 13, 50% of American girls are unhappy with their bodies. This grows to 78% by the time the girls reach 17, National Organization for Women. Approximately 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies and resort to dieting to achieve their ideal body shape. Unfortunately, only 5% of women naturally possess the body type that are often portrayed by Americans in the media. More than one-third of the people who admit to normal dieting will merge into pathological dieting. Roughly one-quarter of those will suffer from a partial or full-on eating disorder. I think there's emotions connected to this for me because I'm a father of two daughters. And so let me say this before I go on. I'm pro-woman. Most important people in my life to me, my wife, two daughters, my son. Of course, Jesus, I'm supposed to say that, but that's true. 95% of people with eating disorders are between the ages of 12 and 25. Only 10% of people suffering from one will actually ever get help. Again, our move is to do something external, to deal with something internal. The enemy's still playing the same tricks. We're even doing stuff, which, which this is still an external move. What, what, what's, what's doing now is pictures of women that are more curvy, if that's safe to say, of like, I don't know what's safe to say. Pictures of women that are more curvy, I don't want you guys to throw stuff at me, are, are, are being lifted up because look, if it's not Barbie doll, then maybe we should, but it's still an external focus on a woman that maybe if you have this, it's still something that's going to do something that's wrong on the inside. There's a reason that this is true. According to the study, the average woman spends $313 per month on her appearance. This adds up to $3,756 per year or $225,360 over a lifetime. 
The U.S. is the world's largest beauty market, accounting for 13% of a $532 billion industry worldwide. The problem as we approach biblical womanhood is the same as manhood. We're still trying to deal with everything that's wrong in here from an external perspective, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work, which is thankfully why we have the word of God that provides a solution through and in the gospel, which is the good news, which we're going to get there. But I want to say this as we, uh, as we start to read Proverbs 31, I, I, I want to address the obvious. This text has led to a, a lot of women suffering from anxiety or feeling like they're not enough. Okay. My hope is that we can read it and understand it through a lens of, 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 of the grace of God and the gospel, and then come back to it and say, wow, that's an amazing text. Okay. But read with me today, Proverbs 31. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to give you guys a structure. Instead of reading all the way through the text, I'm going to break it down and and, and then we'll get to it. We're going to look at this. The main point today that I want you guys to walk away with is a royal servant. A royal servant. We're going to look at four themes that are addressed in the text. One is that a royal servant is trustworthy. She possesses inner strength. She is outward focused and she's wise, okay? So the, the way a lot of Proverbs are written is not easy to just follow verse by verse, and so we're going to see these themes throughout. So we're gonna be jumping around, looking at these four things, trustworthy, inner strength, outward focused, and wise, okay? But what I want you to walk away remembering is a royal servant, a royal servant. Because again, if the problem is in here, we can't do something external to fix it. The, the, may, maybe the greatest example that I have of this or thinking through it in my own life is uh, I truly believe my wife exudes inner and outer beauty together. And I've dated specifically someone in the past that had outer beauty, and it only took me about a week to realize, and this is pre-Jesus, Rick, they didn't have inner beauty, okay? Bad breakup, she egged my truck, okay? What I should have did is went eye for eye, but that's not good enough for me. So this is true. I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but if you've ever smelt Limburger cheese, you'll know how bad this is. I don't even know why they smell it because like to open it up, I had to use gloves and I had to throw the gloves away. It is like foul. It is, it is awful. So my dad, one who's given me my wisdom for life is like, throw some Limburger cheese on her manifold and it'll like come into the truck. It's going to smell bad and stuff. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Thank you, dad. <clears throat> so I got my boys together. And I was like, that's not good enough. I need to get in her truck and put it in behind the vents so it stays, right? Yeah. So I, this is, I'm telling you, this is twisted. So whatever you have of me, it's make Jesus a hero because I'm about to go boom, real fast, okay? Is I had my buddy date her to get a key to her car, and that's what we did. And we got in her car. I know, it's awful. I'm not saying this is good. I'm saying this is pre-Jesus. And so he got in, and we put Limburger trees all over in that car, Right? I, it was awful. This is how the story ends. She, she came over one night to like pick us up to go like mudding. I don't know if you guys know that. It's normal in Roseburg where I grew up. I don't know. It's normal here. Uh, and we couldn't even ride in her car. We're like, sorry, we're going to take our own. It was so bad. She, she had to sell her truck. She literally had to sell her truck. And then like a year later, she was our server at a restaurant. I was like, I'm not eating. Because she looks at me and goes, I know what you did in my truck. And I was like, oh boy. The problem is she put air freshener and everything you can imagine, but there was something hidden inside of there that was rotten and awful that wasn't being dealt with. And she was trying everything she could to mask it. That's what our culture does. That's our response. So 
Let's look at this. That first, look at how this starts off. These are the words from a king we don't know much about. Lemuel is actually how you pronounce it. He's a king, and this is what his mother taught him. And so he's, he's teaching us, this is the kind of woman that you want to look for. This is the Proverbs 31 wife. And so first look at verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Notice this. The text does not start off saying she will become far more precious than jewels. The text starts off and you need to hear this. It starts off with, this is who she is. You're not working to obtain something in Christianity. You're working from what was fully and freely given to you that you are precious. You are precious royalty. If you went back and answered the question, the problem is, is that we believe we're sinners before we're saints. Paul doesn't write his letter saying to the sinners in Ephesus, he says to the saints, which means holy and set apart. Our problem is, is that we oftentimes believe that we're sinners. And if you look back to the answers of the questions, it would change if you actually believed that you were royalty. Like in Christ, you become heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. That means you become princesses royalty. I joke around and you guys know this, that I tell my daughters, they don't want no scrub, but it's true. If you understand that you are royalty, it changes the way that you live life. It starts off this way. It's not setting out for something to accomplish. Let's look at the fact that she's trustworthy. We're going to look at verses 11, 12, 23, 26, and 28 to see what it looks like for a woman to be trustworthy. But remember, she's working out of what she already is. She's not working to become this. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. That's 11, 12. Jump to 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. When we look at a trustworthy woman and we see this, that it's a woman who doesn't want harm for her husband. She wants good for him. Her husband's thought of well by the other people in the city because his wife is trustworthy. When she opens her mouth, kindness is on her tongue. Oftentimes in our culture, we, we want to go after the person that's a little edgy and says profanity. Did you know you can do just as much, if not more destruction through having very nice words, but tearing someone down with them? Ephesians 4.29 says that every word that comes forth from our mouth should give grace to everyone that hears. In other words, this woman is trustworthy, not just in her deeds, but in her words. What she says about her husband, not just when he's around, but when he's not around, shows honor to him. But also, not just for wives, but for women, what, what women say about their fellow brothers in Christ when they're around or when they're not around is going to impact the community. Words shape people big time. I was told the common phrases growing up, you'll never amount to anything, you're, you're worthless, you're no good for nothing, and I lived into the words that I was told. If we're telling men that you're immature, you're just a boy, you're a villain in society and all this, don't expect boys to grow in anything other than that. But also as sisters in Christ, we need to be reminding the men in the church who they are. You're a saint, set apart. You also are royalty, live into that. And so a woman displays trustworthiness, not just in her deeds behind her husband's back, but in the way that she conducts herself and the words that come out of her mouth, they give grace to those that hear. Next, we'll look at this, that she has this inner strength, okay? An inner strength. Look, we're going to look at verses 17, 20, 22, 25, and 30, okay? Start with me at 17. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. 20. 
She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. We see what she's using strong arms for. It's not just about having strong arms so people go, whoa, look at strong arms. They're purposeful. In fact, nothing about this text is actually about her outer appearance. It's actually about the fact that she has this inner beauty and character because beauty does fade. And so it's actually shown like this woman that has incredible character. 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. 25, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This woman has inner strength. Again, there's something about her, and maybe you've been around women like this, that inwardly, like there's this pull that you have to them. Isaiah tells us that there was nothing external about Jesus, and we learn from Paul there was nothing external about him, but there was this pull to him. And there can be this inner peace and this inner strength that women have that, that is beautiful. And again, it's not just about like, like a physical appearance or like these big, strong arms. I was at a CrossFit competition last weekend, and there was a woman there that was like deadlifting 400 pounds. She was done. She was like, raw. And I was like, I don't think that's attractive, you know? Like, I don't know how that plays out in all of life. And, and so it's not about that. It's about what's in here that women display. She has inner strength. That's an inner beauty. There's a lot about clothing here which I think that someone who has inner strength doesn't need to dress in a way that draws attention themselves. It can be modest. But what I love about this and the inner strength is this. Look at 17 with me and and let's unpack this. She dresses herself with strength. Notice she dresses herself and makes her arms strong. But keep reading and, and, and see what happens. 22 again. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. What is purple? Color of royalty. Color of royalty. Keep going, 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. So at first she's dressing herself. Now we see strength and dignity are the clothing that belongs to her. What she's actually doing is just putting on what already belongs to her. When we say the, 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 the saying, preach the gospel to yourself, what we're saying is preach to yourself what's already true and what belongs to you in Christ. Remind yourself that you're royalty. Remind yourself that you're pure. Remind yourself that God looks at you and sees purity and righteousness. And that's what she's doing. She's like, she's like, I'm getting dressed with what I already know is mine. I'm royalty and I'm putting it on and I'm going to live out of that. We were getting to see her actually practicing what she's preaching. She knows that she's a royal servant, but she's also putting on the clothing to live that out. Next, she's outward. Look with me. Verses 13, 14, 15, 19, 20, 27, and 31. She's an outward focused person. 13 through 15 first. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. 19. She puts her hands to the estate and her hands hold the spindle. 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 31. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. She is an outward focused woman. She's a servant. She is servant hearted and servant minded. She is royalty and out of her royalty, she serves. Servanthood is not something that's reserved to women. Men and women are both called to be servants. In fact, Christ didn't give us an option. He said through washing the disciples feet, like this is who I am. And this is what you are to model. He calls him, Paul calls himself a doulos. It's a slave servant. This woman is taking care of the needs of her family. She has strength. And I want to point something out. 
she has strength and she's outward focused, that her strength is not connected to her husband. We don't know much about her husband. He's thought well of. She has strength because her satisfaction is in the fact that she's a royal princess. She has strength not because of her attachment to her husband or uh, her husband's need for anything like that. She has strength because of who she is. I think that's important. She also doesn't have strength because of position, a role, or title she holds in society. So I just want to hit on this real quick. I think one of the most dangerous things about the egalitarian philosophy or feminism is this, is it, it's telling women in order to have some sort of worth in life, you need to uphold or have this role and title. If you can lose anything society tells you is going to give you worth, it's dangerous. Because the one thing you won't ever lose is who you are in Christ. And that's what we need to be giving to people. That's what I want fed to my daughters. That's what I want fed to the women in our church. This is the only thing that's going to satisfy you. Having this job, if a woman's fit for a CEO, give her the position, but don't ever tell her that's going to be the thing that satisfies her. That's dangerous territory. And it also makes some women feel like they're underclass if they want to be stay-at-home moms. And I think that's a beautiful thing that women have the right to choose. She's strong, but she's outward. She's a servant. She's servant-hearted. She's looking to the needs of others. Let me provide some challenge here for the ladies as I did for the men last week. Is there a chance that some things in your life are creating anxiety, maybe depression, or just discontentment? Because really the thing you're focused in is on yourself, in your own situation, your own circumstance. I love, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. He can hit me later. But Ronnie, one of our elders, says that when he's tempted to sin, tempted to lust, anything like that, that the first thing that he does is look at serving someone else, his bride, other people, because it's a self-centeredness and a self-serving. The most miserable, anxious people I know are typically the most self-centered and self-focused people I know. They have a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, because they're so focused on their needs. The, the, the woman portrayed here is an outward-focused person. Society functions best when we actually serve one another. Think about driving just from a practical standpoint. We can serve each other through merging, honoring blinkers and stuff like that. It just works out better. But also, it's the life that we're called to model, to be a servant, to be servant-hearted, to, to, to be servant-minded. Next, she's wise, 16, 18, 21, and 24. Look with me at 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She perceives that her merchant, merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all, all of her household are clothed in scarlet. It just means that they're double clothed. 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She, de she delivers sashes to the merchant. What do we see? We see a wise woman. She's efficient. What she is, she's a jack of all trades. I've said to my wife, I'm going to say my wife again because my wife remodeled our bathroom has basically remodeled everything in our house. And my con uh, uh, contribution has been like, good job or uh, some demo work. And so like, this is a woman that works with her hands. Like she is awesome and she's efficient. Her family doesn't have to worry about the lamp going out at night because she's thought ahead on these things. She's a, she, she is a wise individual and a wise woman, someone worthy to be praised as the text says. Again, I want to bring attention to this. The text doesn't highlight a whole lot about her husband. I'm hitting on this now because I forgot it in outward. An outward focus is a life looking to others and to love and serve others, okay? I challenged people last week to show up to church, to show up to gospel communities, to have an investment, and said show up on time. One of the biggest things that I constantly hear about an outward life is like, well, I don't really go because I don't know what I get out of it. That speaks to a heart that's actually about you, 
But in the same way, we don't know much about her husband, but we do know that she's outward and that she's wise and that she's a, ser- she's a servant. What we know that she's actually loving because the stuff that she does is not about getting approval from her husband and it's not about actually getting her kids or her family to approve of her because here's, here's the harsh thing to hear. That's not love, that's manipulation. If you are doing something to produce a response with your family to give you their acceptance and approval and favor, you are trying to control a situation and outcome to give you something that's going to satisfy you and produce something for you. This woman's outward. Like, again, we don't hear much about her husband. It seems that she is the self-confidence in who she is and the satisfaction that she has in being a royal servant to just live life. And ladies, I would encourage you, if your husband isn't going to lead you, then you lead in this way. And maybe he will come along, but maybe he won't. But I promise you that what will happen is that you will become more satisfied in who you are in Christ as a royal servant. Now, if I could end the servants here and say, go and live this way, but that would crush everyone in this room. What we need is we need the gospel. We need the good news. And what I love is the story when Christ steps on the scene is the, is, is the story of the leper. If you're not familiar with it, and, and even the context there, when, when lepers approached you, they had to remain a certain distance and scream out loud, unclean, 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 like three times to let you know. What does Christ do? He reverses the Jewish system. If a leper touched you, you were unclean. He touches the leper and makes them clean. The ultimate thing that we need, ladies and men, is we need to be scrubbed we need to be washed and we need to be rinsed on the inside. We need to go from all that's rotten. Christ didn't step into humanity to just give you a nice boost. Or in, in the analogy of the car that we ruined, to just throw a little wax on an already nice car and make it look a little better. He came because there was rot on the inside. Leprosy was an external picture of what sin is doing on the inside. Christ came to say, you can't rinse that away, but you also can't rinse away the horrible things that have been done for you. That's why I'm here. That's why I went to the cross. The cross isn't this like cute picture of niceness. It's gross, it's painful, and it's horrific. Why? Because it's an outward picture of what sin is. On the cross, Christ is crushed because he was crushed for our iniquities. What sin will do to us, it'll, it'll crush us. When Christ was on the cross, he was forsaken as he cried out to God because what happens is our sin causes fractured relationships with one another and ultimately with God. The cross is this outward picture of what is taking place, gory, painful. And you know what else it is? It's a picture of suffocation because what sin will do is what happened to Christ is it slowly, painfully kills us. That's why Christ was there. Here's the problem is that Christ was there. We should have been there because we're the ones guilty of the sin and he is not. But he was there because the Bible has something to say about shame. It has something to say about guilt. It says this, that when you place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that guilt and that shame and that sin no longer belongs to you, belongs to him. If you are feeling shameful and you are in Christ or guilty, just know that you're wearing something that doesn't belong to you because you're royalty. You've been washed, scrubbed, pure cleansed. It doesn't start with grace and then end with your performance. It also doesn't start with grace. And Jesus is at the end line as a cheerleader saying, come on, you can do it. It starts with grace. It ends with grace. Everything in between is the grace of God that is saving you and bringing you there. And Jesus doesn't just cheer. He gets inside of you. And that's where he lives to say, it's, I'm here to empower you to live in this way. Christ is all in with you. 
You need to hear that because maybe this morning you're feeling dirty or gross or something like that. Christ is all in. Go back and read this with me, ladies and men. Verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. As royalty, that verse is yours. You need to go back and read Proverbs 31 in light of what Christ has done because Christ had this character and he made it belong to you. This is how God sees you. As a Proverbs 31 man and woman with perfect character, that you're trustworthy, that you're wise, that you're outward focused, and that you're servant-minded because Christ was, and he gave that to you. I love this. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. The old stuff, the sinner, saint now, but you were washed. It means it was done. You were washed, internally cleansed. You were rinsed, scrubbed, completely clean on the inside. You were sanctified. You were justified. So first, you've been rinsed, clean. Second, you've been robed. Isaiah 41.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. You've been rinsed, you've been robed, and you are royal. As Romans 8 says, you are royalty. You are a royal servant. I'm going to end with reading a poem. I've read this uh, once a couple years ago at a good fight. I think I've read it maybe once or twice for our church, but I think it's applicable this morning. For those that are struggling with that same shame that I feel that I know of, just listen to this. It's titled, The Man at the End of the Aisle, Your Groom. In angst, she rushed her best friend to the tabernacle. Confused, she said, what am I doing here? She responded in a clear and calm tone. It's your wedding day. She chuckled and said, who would want to marry me? You and I both know what I've done and even worse, what's been done to me. Her friend scurried around unmoved by the comments and reasons why she wasn't marriage material. So she repeated herself. This time with frustration in her voice, what are we doing here? As though she was deaf to her, her comment, her friend replied, the man at the end of the aisle, your groom is waiting. Is this a joke? And since her friend was not responding, she responded with exasperation. No one would want me. Her friend replied, the man at the end of the aisle, your groom does. And what? Am I supposed to get married in these rags? She asked. She looked down at her tattered dress. She felt embarrassed by what she saw and exclaimed, I can't walk down the aisle in this. Her friend responded, I know. That's why you are going to wear this. She looked and saw a beautiful wedding gown. One she knew she could never afford. Quick, let's put it on. You're going to be late. She felt unworthy, uh, unworthy to wear such a dress, but she agreed and said, I can't afford this. Her friend said, the man at the end of the aisle, your groom, purchased it for you. She said, it fits perfect. And it's beautiful. But what about my hair? They're even worse than my clothes. With eyes that match the smile on her face, her friend said, don't worry. The man at the end of the aisle, your groom, took care of that too. Immediately, a team rushed in, did her hair, covered every flaw. When she looked in the mirror, dress on, hair and makeup finished, she said, I can't believe this. I look and she paused for a moment to find the right word, and she declared, flawless. Her friend said, it's time. She felt nervous but ready to meet the man at the end of the aisle, her groom. One last thing, she said, I have no one to walk me down the aisle. Without a second passing, the friend responded, what do you think I'm doing here? The door swung open, and the church was filled with the sound of people gasping because they were awestruck by the bride's beauty. But the lights pierced through the stained glass windows, made it hard so she couldn't make out the man at the end of the aisle, her groom. She looked down, feeling unworthy and undeserving as she remembered all that she had done and the way she looked just minutes ago. Finally, the light dimmed, and she could see clearly for the first time the man at the end of the aisle, her groom. Confused, she exclaimed, I don't understand. She saw a man in tattered clothes, which resembled her clothes. She saw scars in the same places she had scars. She saw a man that looked shameful and pitiful. 
a man no one would want to marry. But right then and there, with excitement, here's the man at the end of the aisle, your groom, her friend said. Her eyes filled with tears and she couldn't speak because for the first time she realized what the man at the end of the aisle, her groom, had done. She said, those are my clothes, my scars, and my shame. And she began to lower her head again. Then the man at the end of the aisle, her groom, placed his hand gently under her chin, lifted her eyes to meet his, and said, no, they're mine. The truth is this, is you are a royal servant if you are in Christ. And if you are not, grace makes that possible today. Let's pray. Father, I think about my daughters and and the praise of delight that I have over them. I pray that your daughters in here this morning know your praise infinitely exceeds that. Same for the men. I pray we're a community that models well what it looks like to love, serve, shepherd, and speak well of one another. In Jesus' name, amen.